And uh, let's just take a moment to pray as we do. Now, Father, we just acknowledge we, we, we all need you in this area. Our own shame is stuff we don't want to talk about. It is stuff we want to hide. But, God, we know that you can heal shame. We know that you can touch us and bring life into those areas, God, that are, that are broken and have died. And so, God, whatever way you want to use these words, use them. God, if you just want to speak in your own way to, to folks that are listening, we pray that you do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Um, what is shame? Uh, one PhD put it this way. Shame is a painful emotion that responds to a sense of failure to attain some ideal state. Shame encompasses the entire self. It generates a wish to hide, to disappear, or even to die. Uh, Brene Brown, I think, has just the most, uh, the most beautiful definition. If you can call it beautiful, I don't know if it's beautiful, but shame's not beautiful, but the definition's a good one. Uh, believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And before I talk more about shame, I want to just uh, spend a little bit of time talking about the difference between conviction, guilt, and shame, because sometimes uh, we can get uh, mixed up on, on those things. Uh, so conviction, guilt, and shame. We can receive conviction from the Holy Spirit. We can be convicted from, as Romans 2 talks about, from our own conscience. We can be convicted from, you know, people around us. I mean, let's say if we uh, you know, share a piece of, of information that someone shared with us in confidence, and we share it with some other people, and that person finds out, and, and, uh, and they come and say, you know, hey, you know, Jesse, that was not, I, I told you that in confidence. Why did you share that? That's someone else kind of bringing conviction. The Holy Spirit might as well bring me conviction by, you know, as I share in the Holy Spirit, so, whoa, 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 you know, someone told you that in confidence. Don't share that. And my own conscience can bring conviction. And this is part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, is to, is to convict us when, when we're not loving others and, and not loving ourselves. Because part of God's mission in our life is to cause us to become more and more loving to other people. And we've talked about that over the last few weeks in our, in our sermon series, that the, the royal command is to love one another as we love ourselves. And, and when we're not doing that, God can, He places conviction on us. So John 16 says, when he, that is the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sin. And we must make sure we understand that, that this conviction is not a, you know, you're an awful person. You know, I'm going to take out the spanking stick. This is, the Holy Spirit is actually called our advocate. He's absolutely for us. In John 14, it says, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit, when he convicts us, is always like, Hey, you know, you, you messed up there, but, but let's work on this together. Me and you, we, we can do this. We can make this right. We can, we can improve this. He's always working with us. He's our advocate. On the other hand, there's the accuser. We have the advocate who's always, we can do this together. The accuser always steps in and says, you know, actually this is like a permanent state and you're a failure and you're never going to be able to do anything about this. You're just a, you're just a screw up. Uh, but the advocate who convicts us is a good thing. It is God gently holding us and bringing us forward that we might love God and love ourselves in deeper, in deeper ways. 
Uh, so we can look at, uh, the Bible talks about guilt in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, it says, godly sorrow or, or good guilt brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. And so when you're convicted, there is this, this thing called guilt that we have, and good guilt is actually a good thing. Because when we feel guilty about something, it causes us to want to maybe apologize to somebody. It causes us to say, God, you know, would you help me through this? I want, I want to be better. Uh, it brings repentance. It, it leads to salvation. It leaves no regret. When you understand good guilt, you understand that God forgives you. And that, that leaves no regret. You're like, God, I thank you that you took me through that. that was, it was hard, but, but I, I have no regret because I'm a more mature person now. I've, I've grown. I'm more like Jesus. But Paul also says there's something called godly sorrow or good guilt, but there's also worldly sorrow, which brings death. And this is what we'd call bad guilt or shame. It brings death to us. It brings destruction to us. It, it pulls us down and sticks us in the mud and keeps us down. And we can look at the difference between good guilt, which comes from conviction, or bad guilt or shame. Good guilt will always lead us towards God. God, I need you. God, I thank you that you are my answer. Uh, bad guilt or shame will always cause us to pull away from God. I don't believe God is for me. I'm such a screw-up. I'm such a horrible person. You know, why would God even want anything to do with me? And I might as well just, just run away from him. Good guilt causes us to think of others. Uh, bad guilt thinks of, of, of ourself. I mean, if we, uh, you know, maybe, again, we share a piece of gossip and and that person, you know, finds out, we feel bad because I really hurt that person. But bad guilt or shame thinks about self. You know, I can't believe they, they, they called me out. Now I look bad in front of people and, you know, I've lost my image of having everything perfect in my life. And it's very selfish. Uh, good guilt leads to us into community. Realizing I need, I need people around me. I need people to speak into my life. I, I can't do life on my own. I've got to be able to share my story and, and be heard and listened to. But bad guilt and shame always leaves us away from people because I got an image to maintain and I can't let anybody in to find out what's going on inside because I'm such a horrible person. If someone just knew what I was like, they wouldn't like me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't fit in. I wouldn't belong. I wouldn't be loved anymore. And so uh, it always causes you to run from people. Or at least if you do have people in your life, it's going to be very superficial. You're not going to talk about anything deep. Uh, good guilt is always hopeful. <laughs> you know, if God is working with me, he, he's my advocate. We can do this together. Uh, shame is always hopeless. And the accuser will always step in and say, you know, actually, this is permanent. You're never going to change. This, this is who you are for the rest of your life. It's very hopeless, and it leads to despair. Good guilt receives forgiveness. It understands that God can forgive, and he can wash away my guilt, and, and it's something I've done, but it's not actually who I am. But bad guilt and shame will reject forgiveness because it often is I'm not worthy of forgiveness. You know, I, got, I know God says he forgives, but I'm not worthy of forgiveness because, you know, at the core, I'm such a horrible person and, and, and I'm, I'm worse than everybody else, everybody else out there. And so guilt says that I have made a mistake or I have done something wrong, but shame goes deeper. It goes right into your spirit and into your soul where it says, I am a mistake or I have no value and, and I am worthless. You see, guilt is, is like, I have done something wrong. And shame is, actually, I am wrong. That I am rotten. That I am worthy of love. I'm unworthy of belonging. God would never forgive me. God would never love me because, you know, I'm such a, such a horrible, uh, horrible person. Now, I want to look at how shame came into the world 
how shame is removed from the world, and therefore how sh shame can come into our own lives, and how we can uh, work with God to remove shame from us. So we see in the beginning, back in the book of Genesis, that God creates Adam and Eve. He creates mankind. And it says that they felt no shame, and they were naked. They, they were pure. They, they were not ashamed of their nakedness. They were not ashamed of anything. They were just giving love to God and receiving love to God. There was absolutely no shame. And this is one of the reasons why shame is so devastating to us. It's one of the reasons that when shame attaches itself to us, it is so destructive. It's because we were not, never meant to carry shame. I mean, we were meant to, be, to, to live in this beautiful world where we felt no shame. And so when it, when it comes in, it can be one of the most ugly, awful feelings. And it's one of those things that we, we want to hide from others. And it can be devastating because we were not created for shame. But what we see in, in the book of Genesis is that the, the Satan figure comes along and, uh, and talks to Adam and Eve because they're both there. And, and he says, you know, why don't you eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is figurative for the idea that, that if you eat of this tree, you're, you're going to decide what is right and wrong for yourself. Uh, the knowledge of good and evil is that I'm going to decide what's good and what's bad. I'm going to decide what's right and wrong. I've got to judge everything my own self. That's what the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is. And, and, and the Satan, Satan says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, uh, God knowing both good and evil. And, and so, and it says the woman was convinced. And so this is what the accuser always does. He always wants us to get, get us to think that there's some lack in us. You know, if you just eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be so much more. You know, you have so much more value. You have so much more worth. You, you'll be like God. And by the way, you can't trust God at all. He's actually not for you. He's actually against you. And this woman was convinced that there was something wrong about herself and wrong about her relationship with God. And, and so they, they eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and, good and evil. And then the next verse says this. At that moment, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And so shame comes in the world because now they've got to decide what's right and wrong. Is this okay? Is that okay? And they've got to judge everything around them. And the first thing they see is like, I don't think it's okay for me to be naked. You know, and so they, they hide. They, they sew fig leaves. And all of a sudden, they're, they're ashamed about how they look. They're ashamed about their sexuality. And still today, there's a lot of people, a lot of shame around sexuality. And that goes right back to the book of, of Genesis so shame comes into the world. And then the next verse goes on. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Do you notice what shame does? They notice they're shamed about their nakedness. What do they do? They cover up. They, they cover up their nakedness. They're ashamed, and so they hide from God. This is what shame will always cause us to do. It always causes us to cover up because I don't want anybody to know what's really going on inside. Because if they knew what was going on inside, if they knew what I looked like, if they knew what I was thinking, if they knew what I did, then I wouldn't belong. I wouldn't be loved. I wouldn't be accepted anymore. And so we hide and we put on performance face. I got to make sure that everybody thinks that I have it all together and I'm, I'm super Christian and I'm an amazing and I don't have any faults. And, and so we hide from God and we hide from others and, and we keep this shame inside and it eats us, it eats us alive from the inside out. And, and we try to hide it, but we can never fully hide shame. 
I mean, as we, we talk about a lot, I mean, like, shame is like taking a beach ball and trying to push it under the water. <laughs> I mean, eventually it's going to pop up somewhere. And it always pops up in, in negative, negative things. And so he, they hide. And this is, then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And see, the, the lie of the accuser is that you, gotta, you can't trust God. And in your shame, you've got to hide from him. But here God is, is pursuing Adam and Eve in their shame. And he's pursuing us in our own shame. And he's saying, where are you? Not, not where are you? I'm going to get you. How, what a horrible person you are. But this is, this is a heart of the love of the Father. Where are you? I want to hold you. I want to I I care for you. I want to love you. I want to I walk with you through this. God is pursuing us as he was pursuing Adam and Eve. And, and Adam replies, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. And then God asked this question. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you? I mean, who, who told you there was something wrong with your sexuality? Who, who told you there was something deficient about your body? Who told you that, that you had to hide? Who told you? <laughs> That's not the way you were created. And the reality of the story is that this, this is your story, this is my story. That all of us were born into this world as little babies, and, and as little babies we have no shame. I mean, we can be completely naked and we don't care. I mean, we can, you know, crap our diapers and we don't care. And, you know, as we talked about last week, we're in our messiness, we're, we're just loved. We're not concerned about, I have to have everything together in order for my parents to love me. They, they just love us as these little babies. And, and, and as we get a little bit older, I mean, little kids are so free. I mean, they don't have any shame. I mean, yesterday we did a little children's service here because a lot of our families can't come, uh, especially with crazy toddlers. And so we had all, a bunch of crazy toddlers here yesterday. And we did some dance songs. And, and man, they're so free. <laughs> they're just able to dance and, and enjoy themselves. And, you know, I was trying to dance, but, you know, you kept like, I wonder what people think of me. I mean, I mean there's always the shame inside. The kids don't have that. But somewhere along the line in your life and my life, Someone began to say, you better cover up. Someone began to say, actually, you know, you should be seen but not heard, or you're not valued, or you don't belong, or you're not wanted, or you're deficient in some way, or you're not gifted. And, and so God asked, well, who, who told you that you were naked? I mean, we all have those stories of people have said things to us and, and told us things, and, and often that shame kinds of, kind of sticks to us. I mean, I can remember lots of stories in my life where shame began to stick to me. I remember... Like in elementary school, right down here at Brain Kennedy, when, when they get a couple team captains, and you know, the captains would pick people for their team, and man, I remember sometimes I was picked last, and shame sticks to you that, that you're actually not wanted, or you're not gifted. I mean, I grew up in a family that had issues, because you know, every family has issues. Every, every family is messy, and no matter how hard you try as parents, there's, you always do something to add a little shame to, to your kids, and and, and the family I grew up in, it was all about, you know, working hard and that you earned your value through work and performance and, and you can't rest and you've got to work, 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 and then you're actually loved. And so uh, I, I still struggle with shame just in resting. I mean, I remember as a, as a small kid, my, my older half-brother sexually abused me. And I remember, you know, crying and I don't want to do this. And, and there was the shame that stuck to me that says that you don't have any voice. And all of us have these stories of, of how someone has said something. Sometimes those things are internal, sometimes they're true, sometimes they're not true, but, but shame sticks to us. And so God asks this question, who told you that you were naked? 
I mean, who told you that there was something deficient about the way you look? Uh, who told you that you're too tall or, or too short? I mean, who told you that your nose is too long or your nose is too short or your ears are too big or they're in the wrong spot? I mean, who told you that? I mean, who told you you should be ashamed of your sexuality? Who, who told you that you're not as pretty as your sister or, or maybe not as athletic as your brother? I mean, I mean who told you that, that you're only good for how you can please a man? I mean, who told you that, that you're not gifted or not wanted or that you don't belong or that you don't fit in or that you don't measure up? Uh, who told you that your value is found in you striving and performing? And, and who told you they have to put on a mask and you can't actually be vulnerable and talk about what's going on? Who told you that? I mean, who told you that God isn't for you? Uh, who told you that, that God is against you or that he won't forgive you or he's disappointed with you? Who told you that? Uh, who told you that you were naked? Now, so all these things, they begin to stick to us as we tell ourselves things, and, and sometimes they're not even based on truth. I mean, there's some things we make up based on how we perceive a situation. Sometimes they actually come from, from real people who actually believe it about us. But the effects are shame, I mean, they're really devastating. I mean, one of the effects is isolation. Again, it always causes us to hide. Because, I mean, there's just something in this that, if, that we want to be loved and we want to belong and and there's this lie that, that says that if I want to be loved and belong, I've got to pretend like I'm okay, <laughs> that everything's perfect. And so we isolate our feelings, and, and we're not vulnerable, and we isolate ourselves from, from other folks. Or we go into self-loathing, you know, I'm valueless, I'm such a horrible, I can't do anything, right? I always screw up everything, and you know, you might as well just crawl into a hole, you know? Uh, you get into this despair performance cycle. You know, I'm such a mess up. I got to do better. I got to work really hard. And so you work really, really hard at striving and making sure you have everything together. I'm never going to screw up again. But then you do. And then, then you go into despair. See, I can never do it right. And then you're in despair. And you're like, I hate this feeling of despair. So I just got to do better and better. And you go perform and you fail and you despair and you get caught in the cycle. Or you think it's permanent. I mean, you begin to doubt that God can do big things in our life. And you're just like, this must be my permanent state. Or you begin to self-sabotage things. You actually start to do well in your life. You, you get a promotion, but you self-sabotage yourself because deep down you actually believe you're not worth it. Or you're not worthy of that promotion. You're not worthy of that job. You're not, not worthy of that boyfriend or girlfriend. So you self-sabotage everything to keep yourself low. We begin to numb the feelings of shame. And, and um, a lot of people who struggle with addictions, not all, but a lot, uh, it's, it's, it's underlying shame. Yeah, because... Those feelings of shame are so ugly that we just want to numb them. We want them to go away. And one of the, the quickest ways sometimes is to, to drink a lot or do drugs or using uh, various you know, coping mechanisms to keep those feelings away. Or we begin to blame. And it's actually not me. It's someone else's fault. It's your fault. This is, this is why you know, I feel this way. And you don't actually acknowledge what's going on inside. Or violence and anger. I mean... We're seeing a lot of this on the news, but, um, you know, violence and anger is actually related to shame. Uh, Dr. Jonathan Fast says, violent acts are motivated by unmanaged shame. Or Dr. James Gilligan, the emotion of shame is the primary or ultimate cause of all violence. And he goes on to say in his book that shame is probably the most carefully guarded secret held by violent men. 
I mean, shame is underlying so many of the, the devastating things because, again, when you try to hold down shame, it might pop up as anger and violence. It might pop up as blame. It might pop up as self-loathing. It's going to pop up somewhere. And then we talked about the reality that it blocks us for, from receiving God's love. It wants us to hide from God. And I love this quote by Andrew Kaminsky. He says, shame is the raincoat over the soul repelling the living water of Jesus that would otherwise establish us as the beloved. Shame is the raincoat over the soul, repelling the living water of Jesus that would otherwise establish us as the beloved. So you go back to that picture we've been talking about over the last month of the waterfall of God's love. It's this constant waterfall of such love and goodness. But, but shame is when we stick up the umbrella, where we put on a raincoat, and, and we want to protect ourselves because we deep down believe we're not, we're not worthy of God's love. That, that, that I haven't done enough. I haven't worked hard enough. I, haven't, you know, I don't have all my theology in line. I, you know, I'm such a mess up. I'm, I don't deserve that kind of love. And it keeps us actually from receiving the very thing that's going to change us. And so dealing with shame inside is, is so vitally important to our own health, our own relationships, and it's so vitally important to our mission. Because you can't actually love others properly unless you begin to deal with, your, with the shame inside. And so uh, we talk about how shame came into the world. Now, how, how does it leave the world? Well, we get a picture of this in Hebrews 2. It says this. Because of the joy awaiting him, that, that's Jesus, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. It's interesting here, when he, the writer talks about the cross, he mentions the shame of the cross, not the pain. He mentions he, he disregarded the, the shame. It doesn't say pain, it's the shame. Because crucifixion was actually... A large part of it was actually the shame of the cross. Uh, the, the Romans used it to kind of bring maximal pain and maximal shame to make sure it was, it was a warning to people that you don't mess with Rome. And so they didn't just inflict maximal pain upon you, but they did everything possible to make sure you were shamed to the, to the utmost. And we, we see that in the story of Jesus. I mean, they would mock people, and Jesus was mocked. Um, we see that... That they, they dressed Jesus up in a robe and they, they laughed at him. And that's what they would do. They put funny masks on the folks and they would laugh at them and, and they, would, they would strip them naked. I mean, often our pictures are, are sanitized because, I mean, he was beat beyond recognition and, and he was naked the whole time. Because this was part of the shaming process. They would strip you naked and then they would march you through the streets and it was kind of a weird pastime for people. And they'd throw things at those people and, and mock their genitalia and, and laugh at them and, and, and curse them and mock them. And they'd hang you up on the cross in, in, in public outside the town. And everybody would come by and, and, and the, the gospels talk about how they hurled insults at Jesus. And, you know, if you really are the Messiah, come down. I mean, you talk about the shame. And it reminds us that a lot of times we haven't done anything to actually receive that. I mean, Jesus lived this perfect life, life, yet he had all the shame being hurled on him as he hung naked on the cross. And it's no coincidence that Adam and Eve, when shame first came in, they had to cover their nakedness. And now Jesus is hanging on the cross fully naked as he destroys shame 
I mean, there's parallels between the destruction of shame and how shame enters into this world. But it says he, he disregards its shame. Uh, that word means to despise, to, to think little of, to consider as nothing. It says, for the joy set before him, which was, he's knowing, he was going back to sit at the, the, the place of honor beside the Father. He knew that the work of the cross was going to bring salvation and joy and life to so many of us. For the joy set before him, he disregarded or thought little of, or he considered that shame as nothing. As you can see, these insults coming at Jesus. And Jesus is saying, you know, I consider that as nothing. That's not the truth. I know who I am. I know where I belong. I belong at the right hand of the Father. I know who I am. I know I am loved. I know who I am. I disregard that as nothing. You know, you, you know just come down from there if you're the Messiah. And you get to say, you know, I know who I am. I'm just going to disregard that. As they mock him and say, you know, oh, you're, there's something funny about your body or whatever. And Jesus goes... Hey, I'm perfectly, my father thinks I'm perfect. I'm in the image of God. To, to think little of. And, and this is what we must do as well. Because we experience a similar thing. Shame is hurled on us. Sometimes it comes from within. Sometimes it comes around us. And we have a choice. We can allow that shame to absorb into our mind. And we, we can just... You know, let it take over our, our body, or we can do what he did and, and disregard that shame. Because the reality is, just as God is seated in the place of honor, so are we. In Ephesians 2, it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And so when someone looks at you and says, you're not gifted, <laughs> you just got to picture yourself sitting there with Jesus, <laughs> who's sitting there with the Father, on the throne of the universe, because that's where you are, and the spirit, that's where you are, and you're like, man, what that little fellow over there is saying, that's nothing compared to what I'm experiencing now. That's nothing compared to who I am in Christ. I am so gifted. I'm so loved. I belong. Uh, I'm wanted. I'm shaped beautifully. Uh, like, I'm created in the image of God. I mean, those voices coming at Jesus would have been very loud, but he said, I'm going to consider them as nothing. The Father's voice is going to be the loudest voice. The things that I know are true, that is going to be the loudest voice. And so we do the same as those internal voices come in and say, you know, there's something wrong with you, or you're not valued or wanted, that, that we consider those other voices, we turn down the volume, and we turn up the vo volume of the reality of being seated with Christ and being loved more than we could ever imagine. And the reality that, that no, no matter what people say, that that God is holding us beautifully. You know, God is the one safe voice we can trust. And this is why we need to make sure that all the voices coming in our, in our minds, for people shaming us, or our own selves shaming us, that all those voices we turn down, because the only voice we can truly trust is the voice of the Father. Because He is the only voice that will never shame us. Considering the power of shame, it's interesting and I've showed this before, that the Bible three times in the New Testament says this. Because we so easily believe the lie that God is shaming us. <laughs> I've messed up, now God is going to shame me. Yet three times it says this. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. God will never shame you. He might convict you, but, but he's going to say, let's work on this together, but he'll never shame you. And so he is the voice that we've got to turn up the volume. And so when you feel overwhelmed with shame and all these voices, just stop and listen to the voice of the Father and just turn it up and do what Jesus did. I, I consider those other voices as nothing. Because they are. They are nothing compared to the one who created the universe. I mean, the God who holds the universe in his hands and, and has created everything and knows us perfectly, and, and he still loves us. We don't have to hide from God because he knows everything about us. And he actually still says, I totally love you. Now, we hide from others because we think if, if you totally knew about me, you wouldn't love me. But, but God loves you even in, in your shame. I don't know if you've seen this painting before, but I think it's, it's kind of crappy, personally. Right? Probably could do something better than that. Uh, you know, a lot of people look at this painting and say, you know, it's just kind of junk. <laughs> so it's not, it's kind of weird, you know, it looks like something a little kid, you know, drew. But, you know, in 2012, this painting sold for $40 million. And, you know, uh, we're just like this painting. You know, there's people that will look at us and say, you're crap. <laughs> you know, you, can't, you, you don't have anything together. You, you're, you're not, you have no value. It looks like, you know, a little kid put you together or something, you know. Uh, but... But God looks at us and says, you know, you're worth 40 million. Yeah. Ephesians 2 actually says that we are God's masterpiece. You see, you know, a lot of shame comes because of the reality that we look different than people around us. But, you know, God has made us different on purpose. <laughs> he has gifted us in a certain way and shaped us in a certain way that, that uh, we can have a, God looks at us like, hey, you are worth a million bucks. And that's the voice we need to listen to. I mean, sure, being the artist, I don't, I don't think he's alive anymore, but I'm sure he'd rather listen to the voice of the guy who said, your paintings worth a lot, than the, the person who says, you suck. And, and we all have those voices coming out. So we, again, we turn up the volume of our Heavenly Father. He is the only voice that is perfectly accurate. Our own voice lies to us at times. The voices of others lie to us at, at, at times. Now, before we consider that shame is nothing... It is always helpful to take that piece of shame and at least be curious about it for a moment before you, before you throw it away. Because often when you're curious about that piece of shame and you allow God into that shame before you consider it as nothing, God can actually bring healing into that shame. And a lot of times when you allow God to bring healing into that shame, then it just doesn't pop up so much. When you just keep pushing it away and pushing it away and actually don't allow God into it, uh, sometimes that voice can remain very loud. And so there are a lot of ways you can do this, but just a simple process to get curious about those feelings of shame and allow God to bring healing. And I'm going to invite Daniel up here. Uh, but I'll just run through these questions, then we're just going to quickly work through them. But where are these feelings of shame coming from? Now, where do these feelings begin? Uh, whose voice am I listening to? God, what are you saying to me? God, is there a lie I'm believing? God, what is the truth? And then you want to seal that in your heart. And then you want to consider that shameful thought, lie, as nothing. So we're going to take a moment just to work through these questions as we bring this to a close. And um, you also have communion. I'm going to, there's a communion, the crackers on the top. You pull out the top and the crackers there and the juice is there. And so we're just going to work through this. You just pick something maybe light, not something super heavy. And then... We're just going to seal off this time by partaking in communion.
And so first just ask, ask the Father. Just allow him to bring up a, a, some sort of shame that you have that, you, that he wants you to deal with right now. And just ask the question, where, where did that, that shame come from? Where do those feelings of shame, where did that, where did that begin? God might bring about a memory, might bring about a voice from someone else or from the inside. Where, where do those feelings of shame come from? have you been listening to? Has that voice been louder than the voice of God? What voice have you been listening to? And just ask this question, God, what are you saying to me in this moment? What are you saying to me in this moment? God, is there a lie I'm believing? Is there a lie I'm believing that is allowing a shame to attach, to stick to me? Is there a lie I'm believing? And God, we ask you just to remove that lie from our being. We, we just repent of it. We hand it. We hand it over to you. And God, we ask you, what is the truth? How do you see us? What, what is the truth from your eyes? And just with your own prayer, just begin to seal that in your heart. And just begin to push that shame away and to consider it as nothing, to turn down the volume and to turn up the volume of the truth. And Father, we just want to seal this by coming to your table. A table where we are accepted, the table where there is no shame. And to eat this bread and to drink this cup in your presence.